0: I found contradictory accounts of who Little Egypt was and what her claim to fame
1: was. Welcome to Baladance Life Podcast with weekly portion of stories, tips, and dance inspiration. My name is Jana Komarnitska, I'm your host, and I invite you to explore all nuances of Baladance Life together with me and our amazing guests. Let's start. Hello everyone! How are you? Welcome to a new episode of Paladins Live podcast, and today we'll have quite an intrigued topic, as well as topic related very closely to the history of Paladins. So this episode will be highly, will have highly educational mood today. Scandals and mysteries always capture people's imagination but what did those scandals influence the whole epoch of the art form and possibly even its further development uh, for instance no secret that the period of orientalism was very mysterious in many ways for people who were living there and it had left its marks even on modern belly dance. but what about specific events or specific people as ballet dancers, I strongly believe that we should be aware about both aspects of dance history. Original roots, its traditions and where it comes from and how it's supposed to be according to traditions. But also to be aware about all external influences and things that sort of fused or changed or maybe even at some point harmed the art form. But those things that had left marks And that we are dealing today, even in modern ballad and scene. And one of such influences was definitely a phenomenon of uh, Little Egypt. I'm really curious to know how much you actually knew about Little Egypt before you tuned into this interview, but you are probably now questioning why did I call it actually a phenomena? That's really interesting point because uh, was it an actual person was she real did she have anything to do with the middle eastern dance or what impact did she have on the prestige of ballet dance in us uh, as well as uh, in general on the modern ballet dance scene there are of course a lot of information that you can find on the internet but honestly it's absolutely shocking what kind of misinformation you can find on the internet about this subject that's why i'm so thrilled to release this episode of podcast that features uh, my conversation with amazing donna carlton the author of must read book looking for little egypt and all the questions that i just mentioned here you will find all answers and even more in this uh, interview Donna Carlton established International Dance Discovery in 1987 selling dance encounterments. She began teaching group classes at uh, Linda Mitchell Yoga Studio in 1989. Also, she published the Middle Eastern Dance Video Sourcebook annually from 1989 to 2005. And in 1995, she published her book, Looking for Little Egypt, which we are going to focus a lot on in this interview, but uh, listen till the end because you'll get surprised. There is a little continuation, hopefully, uh, coming a uh, on soon so donna will share a little snippet of new information that she found out after the book was published so you'll get a little taste of that in this interview but in general i hope you can expect either the second edition with uh, more research and facts about the phenomenon of Little Egypt or maybe even some uh, uh, videos, online presentations or online resources. Who knows? But right now I can't wait for you to listen to the interview. So without further delays, uh, letting you dive right into it. Just after a quick thanks to Belly Dance Evolution for supporting this podcast. Following Jelena's BDE activities, I am always impressed with the level of their theatrical performances as well as educational programs that serves dancers at all levels. Don't forget that applications for Gelina's BDE experience in New Bern, North Carolina are still open. Also, you can now audition to join the cast for their 10th anniversary Best of BDE performance in Los Angeles. Please visit BalladanceEvolution.com for more information about it. Hello, Donna. I'm uh, so so grateful you, you are here on the podcast with us and I feel this will be such an amazing opportunity for all dancers to learn more about the uh, history of our art form because you contributed a lot to, to the research. <laughs> so thank you for coming and welcome to our show. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure to be here with you. Before we dive uh, right into your research and all... Uh, um juicy stuff that I know a lot of our listeners are waiting to hear about. But let's kind of get back in history and uh, dive back to the very beginning. Can you tell us, please, how did you actually got involved in ballet dance? Do you remember your I don't know first class or first time you saw someone doing belly dance, or first time you sparkled this interest that you wanted to learn this art form? Um, if you can. Get us back to that time. That would that would be great.
0: <laughs> sure. Well, I I know that it was the 1980s, and I was working uh, full time. My first full time job at a desk. So uh, my body was telling me that I needed exercise, and I remember I was going to sign up for an aerobics class, and I was talking on the phone to one of my friends about how I was going to sign up for aerobics. And she said, well, you should try belly dance. It's really fun and, and you move, really move around a lot. So I was intrigued by that. And I decided to sign up for the class, the same class that she was taking. And so I, at the beginning, it was only about exercise and movement because I didn't like sitting all day long. Um, Then I discovered that I really liked the music a lot, and I even liked playing finger cymbals, and I also just enjoyed the camaraderie of the dancers um, in the class, you know, 20 or so women all getting together and having a a good time enjoying the the dance and learning more about it. So from there, uh, I kept going. They would have recitals, gatherings at a local uh, restaurant every so often. And I would get involved in the group uh, numbers then and also just the folk dancing. And then after a while, my teacher said, it's time for you to to do a solo. And I was like, what? But she helped me. She picked some music for me and helped me out. And then before too long, I was performing with the troupe. And it just kept going from there. So I definitely remember one of the first times I saw belly dance performed live was at an outdoor festival. And I remember uh the performer who later became a teacher, uh Karen Thurston. I remember her performing a beautiful Taksim. Of course, I didn't know what Taksim even was back then. But uh, just moving um, with this beautiful music in a very slow and passionate way and uh, it really struck me and I remember uh, just tearing up it was so beautiful. So it really got to me and a lot through the music and the beautiful um, dancing that I was able to see.
1: And along with your passion and love to dance, you also did later a lot of research contributing to just researching and sharing information about history and the dance. And your most famous research work is probably looking for Little Egypt, the book, but you also was doing annual video source books and like doing some other things and even you were teaching in a college at some point. Um, but talking about research work, uh, I'm really curious to ask one question which may seem kind of obvious, but everyone will have their own, uh, I think, um, reasons to do this. Why you came to Ballot Dance just first to for some physical activities, then later you fall in love with music. But what is a ballet dancer? Why is a ballet dancer you had this urge to do research work around this form? Well,
0: as far as um, the video source book that I published for several years, there was an explosion in... um, videos being available for home study so you could purchase these and it was a great resource for us dancers at the time and so I wanted to know everything about what was available and how I could best take advantage of these resources and so um, I was working for a publisher who was also in the business of compiling this sort of information for directories So I decided that I could do the same thing for my passion, which was um, Middle Eastern dance. And so I started collecting all this information and uh, was able to put together a booklet and publish it um, with advertising and so on. That continued for several years. And then the Internet got really big and it seemed like, well, you could use the Internet as your uh, directory and and resource guide that way so in 2005 that was the last issue that i did for that
1: mm. and uh, regarding the uh, book like what uh sparkle you to even do this historical research and not just for yourself but actually put it together in a book well i
0: must have been interested in the history because i was reading different uh books that were out there. And there really weren't very many at that time, but I found contradictory accounts of who little Egypt was and what her claim to fame was, because uh, uh, at least one book kind of treated her as a pioneer of the dance form in the United States. Um, but yet, other sources said that she was a burlesque artist and um, originator of theatrical striptease in this country. So that created a dissonance for me, and I wanted—I decided I would do a little more research and try to find out what the story was. And I live in Bloomington, Indiana, home of Indiana University. There's a great research library here, and I was able to um, use resources that I found there. And I found that that the era of uh, Little Egypt um, was quite fascinating to me around the 1890s and early 1900s. So I just I just kept going to see what else I could find out and um, eventually I decided that I could write a book and so I did it took about two years of research and another two years to get it into print and then it was published um, very early in 1995
1: well, I believe your book is one of those must-reads for all ballet dancers to even better understand what is exactly the art form that we are doing now, because it's so different from, uh, let's say, original or traditional folklore dances of those countries that claim to be an origin of ballet dancer. Um uh, but you open your book with description of um, 1893 Columbia Exposition uh, in Chicago. For those people who may have no idea what we are talking about right now, like little Egypt or why this time was important, uh, can you briefly just highlight what kind of event? Uh, it was because there was many different expositions uh, happening in US, um, not just that year. But why that one was important, and what in general, what was this historical era um, in US, or uh, what was happening in the society that defined later um, their perception of uh, uh, Little Egypt or phenomena of Little Egypt. <laughs> Well, uh, this was an
0: era of expositions and this brought uh, many different nations together. And this one in Chicago, 1893, there was an area for amusements and it was called the Midway Plaisance. Originally, this was going to be uh, an ethnological area to show entertainments and pastimes of different cultures from around the world, and then later, because of the immense pressures of making money or not losing money on the fair, it was decided to place amusements there as well, such as uh, a ferris wheel or a tethered hot air balloon so um. You had exhibits from many different cultures, and I I learned about all the different dancing exhibits that were there, and I decided to write about them. Um, the fair was a, not necessarily the first time that there were belly dancers uh, in the United States, not at all, but it was a time when they came to the attention of large numbers of people for the first time because of how many people attended the fair or read about the fair, um, and heard about the fair. And then what happened after this great, uh, world's fair also how the entertainments continued in other venues, inspired by the happenings at this big exposition in Chicago. And so eventually Uh, Because of other events, um, a big scandal in New York City a few years later involving Little Egypt, Um, this event became a – then this person or this character Little Egypt became kind of mythic. Lots of stories told about her as it uh, went on. So – this was how people learned about these different dance forms at this time was through international expositions and then later on and in how the dance was portrayed in other venues um, more entertainment venues and less concerned with uh, an authentic portrayal of a cultural pastime Uh, did i answer
1: the question yeah absolutely i guess uh we can uh, sort of jokely compare that uh those uh, expositions they're uh, like alternative for uh, youtube but in 19th and 20th century (laughs) where people can find information and um, uh, discover things about different cultures from around the world uh But what was also happening in the U.S. in general as a historical era? Could we define that it was also a time of uh, Orientalism and interest to uh, Middle Eastern and Near Eastern as well as Far East uh, countries in America, the same way it was happening in Europe?
0: Well, yes. Yes. People were fascinated with the idea of the Exotic East, and so the way in which the dance form was presented kind of reflected that uh, Orientalism, that fascination, and uh, the way that the dance would be marketed or written about also. so they would talk about, you know, dark-eyed Bedouin beauties and so on. So just the way it was uh, presented does reflect a lot of uh, Orientalism in order to get people through the door, you know, paying paying the money so that these uh, producers and so on could pay the bills and keep going with their shows. You could draw more people if you portrayed it uh as exotic uh or titillating even
1: right right uh while doing your research uh you probably was reading and researching about a lot of facts and events in europe too um happening during those time in terms of uh, uh dance and orientalism do, did you find uh, that this um, Orientalism movement was different in USA uh, and in Europe? Or it was sort of the same? And the reason I'm asking is because just Europe has also this historical connection, sort of like they um, have a lot of invasions in those countries and a lot of military interest. Then you ask kind of was a bit further possibly i'm mistaken here i'm just guessing but i'm interested in your opinion um did you find any significant differences in the, in the orientalist movement in u.s from what was happening in europe
0: well um of course european powers had colonies and um, that probably did affect um how things were presented. In the United States, it was perhaps um, more about entertainment. So, it was more, I think, fantasy and entertainment. Um, So, other than that, I'm not really, not really sure how to answer your question about the differences.
1: Yeah, I was just curious if there was any interest in like, facts or observations uh, that you had. But it was, again, my guess question. <laughs> maybe yes, maybe no. Um, so how is was uh, the way that uh, dancers from the Middle East uh, uh, happened to perform at those expositions? And specifically, we are talking about Columbia Exposition. Why exactly that exposition was so... Uh, important in uh, your research about Little Egypt.
0: Well, um, there were several different different exhibits, and the entertainers uh, were some of them were found at earlier expositions. For instance, uh, an Algerian theater hired entertainers who had been at the 1889 Paris. Exposition Universelle, um, other producers, uh, for instance, in the Egyptian the Street in Cairo uh, exhibit, they traveled to Cairo and hired entertainers there and brought them over. And um, I'm not sure where else they hired them from, but also there was Turkish Village. They had entertainers, not Apparently not all of them were from Turkey, but um, they hired entertainers in various uh, ways. So some came over from Egypt and some were hired from previous expositions and some uh, had some possibly hired entertainers here who were not from the culture at all. Um, There were a lot of different exhibits. You could see in one day um, dances that were supposed to be from different cultures. But we do know that in a street in Cairo, there was uh, the Egyptian uh, theater and you could see entertainers who had been hired from and brought over from Egypt. We have names of some of the dancers, and we know that uh, a dancer who continued after the World's Fair to have a career at other expositions and in other venues, uh, Farida Nazar Spyropoulos. she um, was actually from Syria. Then later she performed in Cairo, and that's how, and she was brought over with other uh, entertainers for the World's Fair in Chicago. She remained uh, an entertainer, traveling around to other expositions and venues, and she aven- she lived uh, the rest of her life in Chicago.
1: I know there was a lot of, like, scandals and uh, things going on around uh, um, Little Egypt and uh, um, the title of Little Egypt, because as far as I know, a lot of dancers were taking it as their stage name to uh, attract more audience uh, since this name became sort of a marketing tool, (laughs) uh, just the same way the producers were describing the shows of those dancers during those expositions. Um, So can you tell a little bit about um, what is the contradictory about this little uh, Egypt? Because we can't really even say that it was a specific individual, a specific person, uh, but it it literally kind of became a phenomena. <laughs> right. So the, the story
0: that you will read uh, many places on the Internet is that Little Egypt was a star of the 1893 World Columbian Exposition in Chicago. Here's the thing if she was such a big star there would be something in the primary sources about her well many historians and and myself combed through whatever we could find about the dancers in 1893 in chicago and uh we don't have a picture of little egypt and we don't have a newspaper story about her so how can you say that she was a big star she might have been there But was she a big star if she wasn't uh, singled out in some way? Now, how she got to be notorious and famous was a scandal that occurred uh, in late 1896 and uh, in 1897 when she was hired to appear at a bachelor dinner in New York City at a very fashionable Fifth Avenue establishment. And the party was raided by the vice squad. And no arrests were made that night, but uh, the the guests of the party had to go down to the police station uh, on Monday morning and account for themselves. And uh, there was a board of police inquiry called, And uh, the entertainers and the guests and uh, the person who had hired the entertainers and the agents of the entertainers testified. And all of this was considered very scandalous because Lil Egypt, this uh, person whose stage name was Lil Egypt, she said she talked to the newspapers quite a bit and she said she thought she had been hired by a group of artists for a dance and a pose. And the pose was going to be in the altogether, or in other words, nude. And so this was very scandalous at the time. It was covered on the front pages of newspapers, and not just in New York City, but across the country. And the newspapers continued to follow the story throughout the uh, police inquiry. And especially when Little Egypt testified she testified uh, about her appearance and that she was going to do a dance and a pose, but the because of the vice squad raid, the um, party was interrupted, and she never did do her pose. Well, because of all the publicity, little Egypt was hired to portray herself in a humorous parody of these events. And um, this occurred, uh, Oscar Hammerstein, the first, (laughs) hired her to appear in his brand new theater complex at 44th and Broadway. And so she starred in this humorous parody, which was called The Silly Dinner, for eight weeks on Broadway and apparently to packed houses. After that success of that humorous sketch, um, there were other imitation sketches. And so at one time you could have three different entertainers all calling themselves Little Egypt in, uh, one, in one city, in New York City, and each claiming to be the original And uh, then it went on tour uh, on these wheels uh, on the circuit. And so you had Little Egypt appearing across the country. And uh, there were multiple uh, entertainers calling themselves Little Egypt. Then this went on for quite a while. So that's how – and we don't know exactly what was in the sketch, but – um, she became associated with this tune that's often called the Hoochie Coochie Melody. And um, this tune may have been in the sketch, but I haven't been able to determine that yet. But I know that um, the author of a, a song about the streets of Cairo also appeared in that same humorous uh, sketch. And that melody it goes something like this. Have you ever heard that?
1: Yeah, so it sounds familiar, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that tune became known as the Hoochie Gucci melody, and uh, it's somehow associated with Little Egypt and with belly dance. And I know that um, places where I have appeared as a professional entertainer, all of a sudden people start humming that tune.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) But is there any proof that that, um, let's say, original little Egypt who performed at that bachelor party uh, has anything to do with dancers who actually performed at Columbia Exposition? Because we have this myth myth, uh, on the internet that you can read Either that, oh, this was a... What I read was that um, there was a Syrian dancer performing at uh, Columbia Exposition, and then later a lot of dancers were taking her stage name Little Egypt to attract uh, attention, but they were doing all those kind of uh, um, acts that have nothing to do with original dance, and they were Taking down the reputation of ballet dance but it was not according to uh, it was not the fault of original dancer who performed as a little Egypt and Colombia exposition your book has a lot of different facts and stories uh, talking about it but is there any proof that that dancer who performed at that bachelor party that became a scandal, that she actually has anything to do with uh, either Algerian or uh, Turkish or Egyptian or Syrian dancers who were performing at Columbia Exposition?
0: Well, you're right. It's gotten very confusing. Lil' Egypt, um, she testified at this uh, Police Board of Inquiry that her name was Aisha Waba. And we don't have a record of her being at the World's Fair in Chicago. Um, She testified that she was originally from Algeria. And um, we know that she spoke French. However, uh, in later years, it appears that this Person calling herself Aisha Waba in Little Egypt, when she passed away, um, she, her, it was kind of revealed that her actual name was Catherine Divine, and that she had been born in Canada. So, was she dancing in anything, you know, like a authentic uh, Oriental style? Well, we don't know, but it does call things into question. We have no real proof that she was in Chicago in 1893. She might have been there, but was she a star? Uh, I don't think so. If she had been a star, we would have some mention or contemporary record of her being there.
1: It's so no. fascinating to dive into these like, historical details because the phenomenon of Little Egypt, it um, formed such a strong and long-term uh, approach and attitude to baladance. dance. Uh, yes. And then when we dive in, like, we can't even find, like, a, person or like or single event it kind of became a way to hide your activities under the stage title of like little egypt that it's literally like your book is very has very catchy title who who was the looking for a little egypt uh but who was little egypt (laughs) that's that's a very tricky question
0: (laughs) yes well Um, According to my research, she was this dancer involved in a scandal in 1893. Um, Then, because of all the imitations of Little Egypt, it gets very confusing. And a dancer who was in Chicago in 1893, Farida Mazar Sparopoulos, she appeared under the title of Little Egypt in Chicago. And so she became known as Little Egypt, and she appears to have accepted that title. So later on, she appeared uh, at 1933 and 1934 in another exposition under that title, Little Egypt. Um, But she proclaimed that she she was... performing genuine oriental dance, and uh, not to confuse it with hoochie-coochie, an imitation form. Um, There are many different, uh, very confused accounts, for instance, on Wikipedia, because uh, it said that uh, Farida Mazarsparopoulos was, at the Burkage Theater in Tombstone, Arizona, I don't think that is true at all. Um, there's an account that Mark Twain, famous author, had a fatal heart attack while watching Farida uh, go through her paces. I, that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia has also stated in the past that Spyropoulos was the first to demonstrate dance ventre or oriental dance, in the United States. And um, I think that that is not a claim that even she would have made, because she came over to this country with a group of dancers. She became well-known because she continued in her career after the fair. <laughs>
1: Is it uh, true that I also... Heard, uh, I mean, this is internet, so I read somewhere that uh, Farida Mazhar, she actually uh, one um, did a series of uh, uh, court trials trying to blame other dancers of using her stage name, and she was trying to um, restore her reputation as a respectable dancer. Is it true, or is it another kind of internet myth <laughs>
0: There was a lawsuit um, shortly uh, before she passed away. And um, this lawsuit was brought by one of her neighbors. He was a lawyer just starting out in the business of law. And because there was a movie made which depicted uh, little Egypt in Chicago in 1893, and she didn't like the way the dance was portrayed. She wanted to sue MGM for using her uh, title of Little Egypt, but the lawsuit really didn't go anywhere because uh, she passed away, and it's, it's kind of doubtful that it would have gone anywhere anyway. She would have had to prove that she was performing under that title, Little Egypt at the World's Fair in, in Chicago, which we have no record of for doing that.
1: I see. Well, it's uh, really very confusing and all such so many uh, very different information on the internet. And just one note regarding Wikipedia for all dancers who are using uh, that as a sort of reliable source of information uh for many things probably you can find a lot of information there but always remember that those kind of websites as wikipedia it's a public source so as far as i know like almost anyone can contribute some source of information um to that uh, to those kind of websites as well as a bunch of other blogs or articles or forums like really always dig in where where it comes from and one of uh, uh really signature features of your books because we have some books about in Balladance about historical as a historical research but your book really strikes that you give a lot of uh, references to original sources to documents to events uh, as well as you often referred to uh, Saul Bloom in his autobiography, and this was a person, uh, impresario, who basically was arranging dance entertainment um, at the uh, part of Columbia Exposition. But in your opinion, how reliable can be his reflections about dance? Uh, Because... uh, Like, what comes to my mind also these references from European travelers who were uh, traveling to to the Middle East and describing what they saw uh, dancers were doing, but they are very, very subjective in many cases. Like, now we know, but they informed a lot in this time history and that time era in Europe. Did you, when you were working with his autobiography, did you feel any... Um let's say orientalistic inspired um impressions that he was uh, given in his autobiography about dancers.
0: Well, um he described the dance as being very beautiful and um he also said uh in his autobiography that uh at no Time at the World's Fair, was there a dancer performing under the title of Little Egypt? Um, he seemed to have respect for the dance form, but then it's also, he also said that after people uh, learned that the translation of danse du ventre was belly dance, that they assumed that it was something salacious. And so that is how Saul Bloom sort of came to be credited with uh, uh, describing the dance as belly dance.
1: And where where the name came from in general? Because there's a lot of discussions too about this: how traditional folkloric dancers from the Middle East suddenly became belly dancers.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, um, people believe that it. Uh, comes from the translation of danse du ventre the french colonial name for the dances so uh i don't know if that's right or not but that is um what we what uh some people believe very strongly and it could be because of what he said in his book once people found out that danse du ventre meant belly dance they They uh, assumed it would be salacious and he said, I had a gold mine. So his exhibit at the World's Fair in Chicago was a gold mine. Mm.
1: Oh, so they actually used that term in French? Uh, They didn't use it in English translation right away? Or did they misunderstand now?
0: Well, I haven't found where it's in print uh, described as belly dance. It's more usually called dance du ventre or, you know, muscle dance. Um, but it could be, it could be that in those times it would have been indelicate to say belly dance in print.
1: Mm. Mm, that's interesting that maybe another layer of adding uh, exotic flavor to call it even in French, not even in English. Uh, but that's, that's interesting. That's <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize or think about that, uh, that oh maybe they used it in French even there have the same words in you in in, Amer- in English. <laughs> um so in your opinion all this uh, contradictory with little Egypt and all those um, scandals and later um imitations what is impact they had on uh, first attitude and approach from general audience to this art form but also on the development of ballet dance itself uh, uh, and whatever it can be or in your opinion maybe a presentation or movement vocabulary or or anything or maybe they didn't have any influence uh, what Whatever you think, in your opinion.
0: Well, I think all the various uh, entertainers performing under the title Little Egypt were not concerned with really uh, portraying a cultural pastime. Uh, They probably didn't perform to authentic music and, you know, they did their little version, but it... It was wasn't really a study that they made of the dance, and and they didn't portray it very accurately, probably. So that influenced uh, the dance form, and so kind of it it trivialized, and because of Orientalism, people were seeing through that lens, uh, and not really taking the dance form seriously. Um, so that is something i think that we uh dancers today are still affected by how how it was seen just as a a trivial thing
1: and do you think the phenomenon of a uh, little egypt has any connections with uh another sort of phenomena or more like associations of um dance of seven veils together with uh Middle Eastern a Ballad Dance?
0: Uh, well, The Dance of the Seven Veils uh, also, uh, ha- I think, has an Orientalist past because it uh, was mentioned in a play and uh, the, the play by Oscar Wilde and then it became a feature in an opera and it was performed on stage, and then it was imitated in Music Hall and Burlesque. So that became another exotic uh, idea that and was associated with oriental dance. Um, but does it have any real history? Uh, that's a good question. Not really that I've been able to find.
1: Mm. yeah that's true. I was just curious if there are any occasions that uh so-called uh, little egypt uh, dancers were combining both ideas and either any influence mutual influence between these two phenomena
0: well uh probably in the same type of venues, but I don't know about specifically an entertainer known as Little Egypt doing the Dance of the Seven Veils. But it was definitely featured in the same kind of venues and music halls and burlesque and vaudeville. Mm -hmm,
1: I see. And talking more about uh, the book itself, uh, I'm really curious how the um, process of uh, writing book uh, looked like because this is not uh, uh, like I don't know memoir or something like that it's actually a research uh, uh, book so what uh, was uh, uh, if you can take us a little bit in your work process what was the creative process of uh, putting together a book and what was uh, uh, things that you really paid attention to um, before publishing it and presenting to to the world? <laughs> Well, uh, I
0: spent a lot of time uh, looking through souvenir volumes of the 1893 fair in Chicago, trying to find Little Egypt. Instead, I found all these other uh, dancers and entertainers. Uh, but I thought that, but that they also would have a fascinating story. And um, so I wanted to tell the story of Farida Mazar Spiropolis as much as I could, because uh, I do believe that she made a genuine attempt to present Oriental dance uh, along with her her, uh, other colleagues who came over with her. So I wanted to tell her story. But then I also wanted to find out who this little Egypt was and maybe debunk some of these myths about her. So I worked a lot on that and uh it then I started writing and so first I had to tell about the Chicago World's Fair why it was important and what kind of dancers were there and then after the fair because of the immense uh popularity of these entertainments this uh, street in Cairo uh, type entertainment continued in different venues, in vaudeville, music hall, in uh, traveling carnivals. So I told a little bit about that. And uh, then there was the scandal in 1896, 1897, involving Little Egypt and how that uh, was covered in the press. And um, I, then I tried to find out what happened to her after that. And she formed uh, a burlesque company and went on tour. So uh, since i published the book, I've been able to find out a little more. And that's why I need to do some kind of afterward uh, to tell her story further. I've done a presentation uh, called Still Looking for a Little Egypt Updates and Anecdotes at dance events
1: Mm, and is it uh, available online as anywhere
0: no not yet i've been you know trying to decide whether to do that afterward or just do a new edition of my book but many interesting tidbits such as the fact that uh aisha waba uh did hit, hit the papers a few times after this big scandal and then um Tragically, um, she died in 1908, um, apparently of uh, gas asphyxiation in her uh, apartment. And instead of being known as uh, Aisha Waba in the news accounts, all of a sudden her name was Catherine Devine. And I was able to find a record of her death certificate that indicated she'd been born in Canada, not Algeria, as previously stated. So little things like that that I found out further, uh, found found out about a little Egypt, uh, totally different person, traveling out west uh, and appearing at expositions uh, out in California and Arizona. So, I just did some updates and uh anecdotes, and uh, I either do need to put it just on the internet or you know publish an afterward for my book.
1: Or maybe both. (laughs) Or maybe both. Uh, Yeah, because uh, this is uh, an ever never ending uh, search, I guess until we can invent time machine and actually go back and see what actually was happening, (laughs) if ever uh, this fantasy will happen. (laughs) Yeah, that would be great. (laughs) Uh, Do you find uh, any sort of parallels or maybe uh, improvements because we kind of see what was happening back then uh, sort of i mean very remotely but sort of happens today too and i'm talking now about the fact that a lot of uh, uh, non-middle eastern dancers are presenting uh belly dance uh, Back then, we just discussed the phenomenon of Little Egypt and a lot of unfortunate uh, results that uh, came out of that. And, uh, I mean, I'm sort of an optimist and trying always to find a positive note, everything at all, even if it's terrible things like that. Definitely, it harmed a lot of reputation of ballad Do you think there are maybe any results or effects of that phenomenon that actually helped popularize in belly dance? Because today belly dance is popular all across the world, and this is one of the, I don't know, any other dance form that will have so many followers in absolutely every single country in the world. Uh, again, I'm just searching for, I guess, something optimistic on that note, but in your opinion, <laughs> uh, definitely there was a lot of harm coming from it. Was there any Positive possible things coming out of it?
0: <laughs> well, sure. You know, for instance, I came to the dance form because I wanted a form of exercise. That got me through the door. And then I started to learn more about it. And um, then I wanted to know about the cultures that it comes from. And I wanted to know more about the music. And I wanted to know more about the history. Uh, But I had no idea what I was getting into when I first signed up for a course I thought was going to be good exercise, right? So that happens today. People sign up for a class because they think it's going to be good exercise or they think it's going to be something fun and exotic. And then, you know, with good instruction, they can deepen their appreciation by learning about the cultures that it comes from. And learning about the history of the dance and, uh, you know, making it a much deeper experience than just a superficial, uh, you know, uh, shaking it. (laughs) Do you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was just about to, to add that I guess it's a story of every ballet dancer who continues it beyond just a few months or years that... We realized that when we first came to Baladin's class, we had no idea what we are signing for.
0: <laughs> exactly, and I've been doing this a long time, and I'm still learning things, and it's great. And I love the variety of expressions that that are possible. You know, the folkloric, and uh, the cabaret, and the modern Egyptian styles. There's so much. And there's always more to learn. Mm,
1: so true. So where dancers can learn more from you? Tell us, please, about your um, sources as well as where is your book uh, is available uh, for purchasing, for ordering, or maybe some other resources that you have uh, for dancers.
0: Well, Looking for Little Egypt is still available. You can purchase it from me directly. Um, my website is uh, allaboutbellydance.com, or you can find it at lulu.com, l-u-l-u.com. Sometimes you can find it on amazon.com. Um, I teach in Bloomington, Indiana. I teach a one-credit activity class in the School of Public Health, uh, Middle Eastern Dance. Uh, so if you're enrolled at IU, look for my class. I also teach in the community as well.
1: I will definitely put all links in the show notes. So for everyone who is listening now, you know, you can just go to the links and quickly connect and find all resources there. And uh, uh, this book is literally a must uh, read. Uh, Like I read it many years ago. I mean, relatively many years ago, but. I always feel that it's a good read to refresh and uh, reread again um, because you always find new details and discover new things that you kind of missed or forgot before. And I'm very happy we had this opportunity to connect on the podcast and highlight some other uh, little aspects that uh, some related to the book, some were sort of, sort of related to <laughs> to the topic uh, but also we discovered about hopefully either new edition or um additional online material uh, regarding this uh, topic so thank you so much for for sharing all your knowledge and research with us today <laughs> well you're so welcome i'm grateful to have this opportunity and i'm always uh Finishing every episode with our signature question of the podcast. And we partially talked about this, but I find it's always a great way to uh, sum up the conversation uh, that comes back to to the love uh, of this art form. And the question is, what makes you fall in love with ballet dance again and again? So you keep doing it for so many years. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yes, well, as we talked about, I do love the music a lot. And I continue to uh, take workshops and learning experiences wherever I can. I've been going to Mendocino Music and Dance Camp several times over the years. I continue to meet uh, very talented uh, people involved in the dance form, which is very inspiring to me. And uh, I am involved in a musical group now. I'm playing the oud and guitar and singing a little bit, and that continues to inspire me. So just the people that I meet and the creative passions uh, bring me back time after time.
1: Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, do you know the best way to support this project is to share it with your friends. It takes a few seconds, costs you nothing, but it helps a lot to move this project forward and help me to bring more awesome guests on the podcast in the future. You can tell your friend, you can send a message, email, you can screenshot and put a, a post on social media, whatever works better for you. But if every one of you will share this episode at least with one more person, it will make a huge difference for this podcast. Thank you for spending your time with us, for your support and love. And until next time, keep shimming, keep dancing, and I will see you soon.